God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded. It is in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, beginning at the 21st verse. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Amen, amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples were looking at each other, uncertain which of them he meant. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to find out which one he was talking about. So leaning back against Jesus' side, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread after I have dipped it in the dish. Then he dipped the piece of bread and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do more quickly. None of those reclining at the table understood why Jesus said this to him. Because Judas kept the money box, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival or give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when it comes to the sacrament of holy baptism, it has always been my practice to whether a person is a member or not, to always give a Bible study on baptism. And the biggest reason why is I, I always want to make sure that people don't look at baptism like it's some magic formula, but rather see it for what it is, an act of God, and certainly performing a miracle within our heart. The very God who gives us the promises of his very name, and the entire Bible proclaims his entire name. And all the promises connected with, with his name is forgiveness and new life and eternal salvation. These are the gifts found when water is applied in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But there's also one other thing that I do before I'll baptize a child. Besides giving the parents uh, um, a course on baptism, I also have them fill out a baptism arrangement form. This baptism arrangement form asks for the name, and it asks for their birth date and where they were born, and, and the parent's name and mother's maiden name, and all for us to be able to record in our church records. But I always have it written by either the mother or the father in their own handwriting. In other words, I don't just write it down asking them for the information. They have to put it down. And one of the reasons I do this is because one year it happened that a grandmother got very upset with me. And it was at my previous church. And the practice was is when we would fill out the baptism arrangement sheet, then my wife at the time would actually do a baptism banner with the child's name and the baptism date, which became a keepsake. Well, Grandma was irate because she stood there the whole service 
and said, I have to look at that banner and the name of my grandchild is spelled wrong. And I said, is it? I pulled out, I first of all apologized, but I pulled out the arrangement sheet and it found out in her daughter's own handwriting, this is how she's spelling her granddaughter's name. I never knew this. I'm going to have to talk to my daughter. That would be good. Interesting. And by the way, over the years, the names that I have seen on these forms is certainly fascinating. But what's even more fascinating is lately, people are really into the idea of trying to spell a name in a really unique way. And they're trying to be really fancy with the spellings. They don't go with the traditional way of spelling it. No, they exchange an, an I for a Y or a Y for an I and, and try to make it unique so that their child will stand out, which is fine. But when you come to do a banner, you want to make sure you have it exactly what's on the arrangement form sheet written out by the parents themselves. By the way, also over the years, I have noticed that I never have come across someone naming their son Adolf. And I have never come across anyone naming their son Judas. And no doubt because Judas is called the betrayer. And even though today it seems very uncommon, that name was not uncommon during the time of Jesus. If you remember the 12 apostles, Two of them were actually called Judas. One was Judas, son of James, and the other one was Judas, son of Simon, who was also known as Judas Iscariot. But now, because of Judas being the traitor, that name is no longer used today. And when Jesus announced who his 12 apostles would be, it's interesting that in Scripture it says, this is Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, who is the traitor. Jesus didn't announce it at the time, but it is found in Scripture. In fact, the earliest time we hear of Jesus speaking about a betrayer was actually after the feeding of the 5,000. It was the day after, and, and Jesus had been preaching to the group that he had fed the day before and reminding them that he is the bread of life. But some of the people did not like what they were hearing from him. And since he didn't give them more food, many actually departed. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and asks if they would leave too. And Peter replied the beautiful words, Lord, where can we go? You, are, you have the words of, of eternal life. And that is when Jesus spoke that you are the twelve who has been among me. But one is a devil. We don't hear of the disciples asking Jesus any questions about that. It seems like it was kind of over their head at the time, and so they just left it go. It wasn't until, actually, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, and, and on the night that he celebrated for the last time the Passover with his disciples. This was also the very night where Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper. But before that, he actually goes and washes all of his disciples' feet. 
And during the washing of their feet, he makes it very clear that if you have your feet washed, you are clean. But then he goes on to say, but not all of you are clean. In fact, Jesus quotes this passage from Psalm 41. One who eats bread with me has raised his heel against me. These are the words of King David, and, and here Jesus is applying these words to himself. These are words that are fulfilled in him and him alone. And after he says these words, we're then told that he was troubled in his spirit. Well, he was certainly troubled because he's going to the next day, going to the cross. He's going to be taking on the sins of the world. He's going to be paying for those sins. And that is not going to be easy. Even though he is the Son of God, he is also the Son of Man. But when it says here he was troubled in spirit, it's actually not talking about the cross yet. Here's what greatly bothered Jesus. He said, one of you will betray me. He was troubled in spirit because of Judas and what he was plotting and planning to do. He had taken 30 pieces of silver from the religious leaders, and that was enough for him to be betray Jesus. Yes, he would betray Jesus at Gethsemane. In fact, he would betray him with a kiss. That was the sign to the armed guards that this was the Jesus. And as soon as they saw the kiss, they would grab him and take him to the high priest and before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, for interrogation and trial. It was literally a kangaroo In fact, why would Judas betray him? He had been following Jesus. He was, he was named as one of the apostles. Out of all the disciples, he was one of the twelve. He was, he was all part of this intensive, um, oh, about a three-year journey of, of like seminary training. He saw miracles and, and, and he heard Jesus preach. And yet he was going to betray him. What had Jesus done to him? Absolutely nothing. That would deserve being a traitor. In fact, what we know of Judas is he was the treasurer for the group. He actually had the money and would collect it. And he was the one that would even distribute it to the poor. But Judas was also known, as scripture tells us, to dip his hand into the purse for his own personal use. He stole. In fact, Judas was overwhelmed by greed. His God was, was not the Lord Jesus himself, his very Savior. No, his God was his, his own sinful, selfish self. His God was the love of money. And that greed desired it and wanted it because it believed it would give him happiness. But it doesn't. It never does. And because of his love for greed and wealth and no doubt power, he was willing 
to betray Jesus for 30 simple coins. It really begs the question, did Judas really have to do this? Well, there are many who believe that that God had a plan, that God had chosen him to be the betrayer. Because if Judas wasn't the betrayer, then Jesus wouldn't be going to the cross in order to suffer and die. So Judas ought to be looked upon as a hero who carried out his, his, his work in this great grand scheme of things. But keep in mind, God is not the author of sin. And nor does God try to tempt us to sin. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, it's not because God is tempting us. It's because we're praying to God, keep us away from temptation. Because temptation leads to evil. So my friends, is the events you're hearing and all concerning Judas, these were all predicted by Jesus. But know and understand this, that these events were predicted in accordance with his prediction, not from his prediction, not because of his prediction, but only in accordance with it. God knew what Judas would do, but that does not mean that God wanted Judas to betray the Son of God. Because of this, we have to always keep in mind that yes, he is called the betrayer, but really all the disciples, all the apostles betrayed. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Remember, three times he would deny him before the rooster crowed twice. And the others ran away. So just because you say, like Peter, you're willing to die for Jesus, doesn't mean you can't fall. Satan would love nothing more than for us to be tempted and think of ourselves and focus on ourselves. He would love nothing more than for us to think that I can do it, I can handle it, and it's all about me. And thank God for me. But in actuality, Judas disciple, an apostle, a believer, rejected the Lord in unbelief. Even the greatest among us can easily fall. This is why we need Jesus. This is why we need his holy word and to take heart his holy word. And we need to be in it continually because these are the words of eternal life. So after Jesus announced, one of you will betray me, there seems to have been a quite a stirring and an uproar. The disciples were starting to all ask one another, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And it seems like people were talking over each other's head and not everyone was paying attention to what was entirely going on. Peter finally asked the Apostle John, who was sitting closest to Jesus, and actually nodded to him and saying, ask him who it is. And Jesus simply said, 
It is the one. After I have dipped this bread, it is the one who I give this bread to. And after dipping the bread, he gave it to Judas. And Satan entered into him when he took the bread. The other apostles, some of them thought that when Jesus said the words, what you are about to do, do more quickly, that he was simply asking them to get more food or drink for the festival or, or maybe to go out quick and because it was the Passover, let's go give some money to the poor. But that's not what happened at all when Judas left to go and betray Jesus. What I find fascinating in all of this is, is the love of Jesus here. In fact, the Apostle John, you notice he actually didn't say his name. He has a history of doing that. As author, he never uses his name. He always uses the phrase, the one loved by Jesus, or the one loved by God. <laughs> and he doesn't do this because he was more loved than any of the other apostles, but he's admitting that he was dearly loved by God. In fact, all of the apostles were loved, including Jesus himself. Judas himself. In fact, the very word love here is such a fascinating word because it's the same word that's used in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This very Lord Jesus has loved us so much that he saw what was happening to us saw that we deserve the punishment of death and even death in hell because of our sins. And even one sin deserves that punishment. And we all have done more than one. And in spite of that, Jesus' love did not fail. In spite of that, Jesus' love brought him to earth to take our place as our substitute suffer the punishment that we deserve for sin and suffer it in our behalf with the invitation to believe in what he has done and through faith in him we are saved. Not by our works, not by what we do, but faith in God's work and what Jesus has done for us all. And I cannot emphasize that enough. So when it comes to our salvation, we have to honestly admit God gets all the credit and glory because it is God's love. Oh, not a love that just has, a, has you know, just feeling lovable and, 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 and just has feelings for us. No, his feelings are seen more in his actions. This is not a love that can come and go. This is a love that's eternal because this is a love seen by his actions. It was love that took him to the cross. It was love that led that perfect life. It was love that paid for those sins in full. It was love that endured the punishment and the whippings and the false judgments and, and, and the kangaroo courts. And, and it was love that led Jesus to cry out, it is finished. And our sins are paid in full. And it is because of his love that we live each and every day comforted, comforted by the peace that is ours and the hope of eternal life 
that is ours because of Jesus, our Savior. To him be the glory. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.